Praise the Lord. Awesome. Uh, I've been teaching on the true nature of God, which I believe is essential to having relationship with Him and trusting Him. You can't trust a person that you don't really know what they're like. And I think that this is the reason that many of us have had trouble trusting the Lord is because we just really don't know what He's like. God has been misrepresented, and I feel like the greatest agent of misrepresenting Him on the earth is the church. hate to say that. I'm not against the church. I'm a part of it. And I think there's some wonderful churches. We've got some great churches represented here that have been helping us this week, and there are good churches. But you know what? There's a lot of things being said about the Lord that I don't believe accurately represent Him, and that's the reason that we have the mistrust, the struggles in our Christian life is because we haven't uh, properly understood who God is. I can tell you my own Christian life, I was born again when I was eight years old, and I grew up in the church, but I was given an impression of God. I was told that God's the one that killed my dad when I was 12 years old. I was told that God was the one who did all kinds of negative things. He was blamed for tragedy in our life, that everything sovereignly happened by God. And that gave me an impression of God that I still said I loved Him, and I certainly, I mean, He was God and I'm not, so I would have served Him regardless of what He was like. It wasn't a matter of, you know, me saying, well, you don't measure up to my standards, so I'm going to reject you. That wasn't it, but it gave me a wrong impression of God. And because of it, I had a fear of God and a desire to live right. But man, I didn't know the goodness of God at all. And then I had this experience, March the 23rd, 1968, where in an instant, I just experienced an unconditional, pure love of God that totally transformed my life. And it took me probably three years to get to where I even remotely understood what had happened to me, probably 10 to 15 years to get to where I began to start harmonizing in Scripture what I was feeling in my heart. And uh, then yeah, I'm still learning, and I'm still learning how to explain it. But there, some of the things that were a hindrance to me was I saw a wrath of God in the Old Testament that didn't square with the mercy, and I knew what, what I had experienced, the unconditional love of God. And I tried to reconcile these. And so this led me to a lot of the things that I've been teaching this week about how that God is love, 1 John 4, 8. He doesn't just have love, He is love. And how do you harmonize the Old Testament wrath with the New Testament grace? I showed a number of examples like Elijah calling fire down out of heaven and Jesus' disciples tried to do it and they were rebuked for wanting to do that because that wasn't an accurate representation of God. Now, there was a period of time where he did things like that, but that wasn't really his heart and nature. And so we've shown some of these apparent contradictions and kind of the key to all of this. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 5 and look at this passage. One of the main scriptures I've used in this teaching is in Romans 5.13 saying, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Put that together with Romans chapter 4 and in verse 15 it says, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. And there's a lot of other scriptures I used. I used about 10 or 15 scriptures showing about how that the law killed. 
and strengthened sin and condemned and made sin come alive and did all of these things. Most people embrace the law as this being God's standard of what He demands. It was really just the opposite. God was willing to accept us based on grace and not deal with us based on our performance, but we were taking God's lack of punishment upon our sin as approval for our sin, and sin was multiplying at such a fantastic rate that the lifespan of people had dropped down to 70 years. It would have been down to nothing if God hadn't have done something to curb the multiplication of sin. And so finally, He did start releasing His wrath and punishing sin to show us that His displeasure, to show us what He considered right and wrong because we had lost our moral compass. But also, one of the main purposes of the law was for people who were self-righteous and thinking that, you know, I'm a good person. God's got to accept me. God just gave us such a standard that nobody can keep the law. Nobody has ever kept the law. And most people would say, well, I know I can't keep it all, but I do is the best I can, and God accepts me based on that. No, the Bible teaches differently. James 2.10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. God didn't give the law so that we just do the best we can and then let the grace of God make up the difference. The law was given to show us such a high standard that we would despair of ever thinking that we could be accepted with God based on our goodness and instead we would receive everything by grace. The law was given to drive us unto grace so that we could call out on God for salvation. And most people don't see the law that way. So this is really important. For the first 2,000 years, God dealt with mankind without imputing their sins unto them. And then since the time of Christ, it says that all of the law and the prophets were until John. And now Jesus came and the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing man's sins unto them, not holding man's sins against them. So the first 2,000 years, he didn't hold man's sins against them. The last 2,000 years, he hadn't held man's sins against them. So out of this 6,000 year period, there's been 4,000 years where God has been dealing with mankind in mercy and in grace But the problem has been the last 2,000 years, the church hadn't known that. We've been operating under this because we haven't made a clear distinction between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace. So let's look here in Romans chapter 5 again. In verse 13 it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Then in verse 14, Nevertheless, even though God wasn't imputing sin, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them, that have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. What this is saying is, if you were to just logically think, all right, if God isn't imputing people's sins unto them, well, then that means, why did man die? Well, this is what I tried to explain, that there was a vertical and a horizontal effect to sin. God wasn't judging man's sins. He wasn't punishing man's sins. But there were still consequences to sin. And that is that when you live in sin, even though God isn't judging it, Satan gains inroad into our life through sin. And every time you sin, it says in Romans 6, 16, know ye not that to whom servant, I mean, to whom you yield. Let's see, how's that go? Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. 
If you yield to sin, you have just yielded to Satan. It's like throwing the door open and saying, Satan, make me sick. Make me depressed. Take my joy. Take my peace. Take my prosperity. Every time you yield to sin, you just give Satan freedom to do things in your life that he wants to do. And that's why death was reigning. Not because God was punishing it. Satan was the one who had the power of death is what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. I believe it's verse 13 or 14. Satan is the one who was enforcing death. Satan is the one that was bringing all this to pass. So this is what it's talking about. Verse 13, God wasn't imputing people's sins unto them until the time of the law. Nevertheless, people were dying because it's not just God who was upset with sin. Sin was also an invitation of the devil into your life. And so... Even under the new covenant, now that God isn't imputing sin unto us again, you don't need to go live in sin. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You do not want to go live in sin. But if you do, which we all fall short, don't feel that God is mad at you and that God's upset and that God's going to punish you because God isn't dealing with you according to your sin. Man, those are great truths right there. That took me 20 years to learn what I just said. Some of you think I'm a slow learner. Well, maybe so, but I bet you there's some of you that hadn't learned that. In verse 15 it says, now this is really important. In verses 15 through the end of the chapter, the Lord used these verses to really, this was my first major breakthrough on understanding God's love completely separate from any worth on my own. This was a major breakthrough. I remember the day that this happened. I can remember, I can tell you all of the things about what was going on that day. This was revelation knowledge to me. These verses are just awesome. Uh, to set this up, I, this is after I'd had that experience. I knew intuitively that God loved me, but my brain was saying, this doesn't compute. You've got to earn the love of God. And, you know, all kinds of scriptures uh, to the contrary in the Old Testament about your righteousness is proportional to the way you keep the law. And there is none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 and stuff. Those scriptures have been ground into me. And so I had a revelation that God loved me, but I had my mind full of all of these things, how God only loved me when I was worth loving. And I couldn't reconcile the two. And there was a conflict going on in my life. And this guy took me to a Bible study. And uh, this was during the beginning of the charismatic move. And there was a woman, Leatrice Skinner, teaching this Bible study. And some of you will think this is terrible, but this is where I came from. I was raised in the Baptist church and a woman couldn't tell a man anything. A woman was unqualified to teach a man. And so when I went into this Bible study, I was offended in the first place that a woman was running the Bible study. So I was already ticked off before we got very far. And then there was hippies in there. This is back when guys had hair down past their collar. And I mean, in the Baptist church, if your hair cut, touched your collar, you went straight to hell. You did not pass go you didn't collect anything. You just went to hell if your hair touched your collar. So there was a woman leading the Bible study. There were hippies in there with long hair and smelly. And I was offended. But you know what? I was trying to be generous to them. I was willing to suffer all of this stuff just as long as they admit that they're all sinners. 
You know, as long as they'd just admit that they were a mess, that would have been okay. But what really got me was that they start, they were, I forgot what scripture they were studying, but they started saying they were the righteousness of God. And that just really got me. If they would have said, we're old sinners, man, have mercy on us, you know, I could have tolerated that. But they were saying they were the righteousness of God. Anybody could tell by smelling them they weren't righteous. Looking at, and I was just upset. And so here I was, I stood up and I whooped out my three scriptures. Romans chapter 3, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I blasted them. And then I just sat down. And what surprised me was instead of them getting mad, you know, the Bible says you'll know that they're my disciples, that they have love one for another. Instead of them getting mad, they were so nice to me. They acted like I just complimented them. And they were so nice to me. They loved me. And they had 10 scriptures saying they were righteous for every one that I had that said they were unrighteous. And man, I just couldn't understand this. I couldn't understand how a hippie could outquote scripture, how it could, could beat me. It really, really bothered me. And so when I left that Bible study, I went home, I went out and bought a Young's Analytical Concordance and I spent one solid week, fasted and prayed and studied the Word and I wrote out every scripture in the Bible longhand that said the word righteous, righteousness, righteousness says, every scripture in the Bible on it and wrote it out longhand and meditated on it and after seven days of doing that, I was convinced that they were right that we were righteous. That's what the Bible says. But I had always tied righteousness to my performance. I didn't understand a gift of righteousness, something that came by faith. It just was till I saw it, but I couldn't embrace it. And anyway, during that period of time, I was just saying, God, I see it, but how can this be? And these are the verses that God spoke to me that finally allowed this to become a reality in my life. And this was like a key that unlocked a major door for me and began to start giving me revelation. So look at these verses in verse uh, 15. It says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. All this is saying is that the way we inherited sin from Adam is the same way we inherited righteousness from God. It's the same thing, but in opposite directions. The corruption flowed this way towards the whole human race, but the righteousness flowed this way back towards every person that had ever been born. So it's a comparison, but in in an opposite way, we received righteousness the same way that we received the sin nature through Adam is what it's talking about. So in verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. You know, there is so much in that verse that most people don't understand. Again, I mentioned this briefly, but there's a lot of people that think that what made God displeased with you are your individual actions of sin. Some of you have committed adultery. Some of you have lied. Some of you have been a dope addict. Some of you have... Uh, you know, done all kinds of things. And because of that, you feel that God is angry at you. This says, through the offense of one, many be dead. 
Do you know what killed you spiritually? Not your actions, not your sin. Adam's sin killed the entire human race. We were born separated from God. It is not your individual acts of sin that are an offense against God. It is the sin nature that all of us were born with that was an offense and that you were born dead to God, separated from God. Somebody's going to take issue with that because of Romans chapter 7. Technically, you were dead to God, but your sin wasn't imputed unto you until the commandment came, is what it says in Romans chapter 7. You were born with a nature separated from God, but a little child can communicate with God because their sin nature isn't imputed unto them. It's not held against them. But when they know that they are directly disobeying God, then it says in Romans chapter 7, sin revived, not sin came. Sin was already there. Every child is born with a corrupted nature, but God doesn't hold that corrupted nature against them until they reach what is commonly called an age of accountability, and then that sin nature revives and they die. This is why a child, if they die before they reach that age of accountability, they would go to be with the Lord even though they were born a sinner. That sin wouldn't be held against them. David said that over in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Anyway, that's another subject. Don't want to teach on that. But it is not your individual sins that separated you from God. You were born separated from God. You were born with a sin nature. It says, through one man's offense, many be dead. Death entered you through what Adam did. You were born with a sin nature. You don't have to teach children to be bad. You have to teach them to be good. It is their nature to be bad. It's their nature to be selfish. That's just the way that it is. And that's what these verses are saying. Most people don't think this way. They think God is angry at you because of what you did. What you did is a result of who you were. You were by nature a child of the devil is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. That's your nature. You know, my uh, son and daughter-in-law, granddaughter, just got a little puppy. And it's a black lab. And, you know, we've had labs before and stuff. And you know what? Puppies are just notorious for eating anything inside. We had a yellow lab that literally ate everything that could be eaten off of a bike, including the reflectors, (laughs) and passed them. I don't know how he did this, but... That, that little puppy, I mean, he ate everything inside. So anyway, my daughter-in-law is trying to get this puppy to be perfect, not do that. And every time this puppy does something, she just gets really upset. And she said something to me about it. And I said, you know what? It's the dog in him that's coming out. <laughs> I said, the reason he does stuff like that is because he's a dog. I said, you can try and make him act like a child, but his nature is he's a dog. That's what puppies do. They chew and eat anything and... You can discipline him all you want and you may get a little bit of behavior modification, but you know the truth is he's going to act like a dog because he is one. (laughs) And you know through certain things we can get to where some of us control ourselves more than others, but the truth is, you know, all we can do is become a relatively good sinner. We were all sinners by nature. It is the nature of a person. That is who you were until you get born again. Now, when you get born again, you get a new nature. But anyway, this is what this is saying. It was your nature. And see, I had been schooled in that. I understood that. 
I don't know if everybody understands that, but being raised in religion, I knew that I was by nature a sinner. And I didn't question that. I had embraced that. I had witnessed it in myself. I'd seen it in other people. There was zero doubt, zero question, zero argument with that. And the thing that just shook me to my core, this verse says that in the same way as I became a sinner, not because of what I have done, I inherited it by being born. When I got born again, I became righteous, not because of anything I have done. I was born again righteous. Man, that concept, I remember the day that that just dawned on me. God, could this be true that I am not righteous because of anything I do? I am righteous because of what Jesus did for me and all I had to do was receive it. Man, that's radical. And five different times in these next verses, he says this same thing over and over and over and over and over, just like he knew that people couldn't swallow this, and so he just keeps saying it over and over and over. Eventually, somebody's going to get it. So that's what he's saying in verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man... Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. That's talking about through Adam, we were all condemned. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. The word justification, a little layman's definition of that is that it means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That really is what it's all about. Justification means to declare free from the guilt and penalty attached to grievous sin. In other words, God doesn't just... You know, I, when I grew up, I actually had the pastor bring in a two-before and drive nails in it. And he says, this two-before is like your spirit. These nails are sin. And when you get saved, God pulls the nails. And so he began to start pulling the nails out. And he said, you know what? The sin is gone, but look at the damage it's done. You're still an old sinner saved by grace. But you know, the Lord showed me through this that a more appropriate illustration would be to bring a two before in and say, that's your spirit, drive nails in it and say, that's sin. And then when you get born again, God takes that two before and nails and throws them away and gives you a brand new one that is Teflon coated, steel coated, that no sin can ever penetrate it. Nothing will ever stain it. You get a brand new life and you aren't by nature an old sinner anymore. And man, I could teach on a lot of things right here. Let me just say that if you don't have my teaching on spirit, soul, and body, this would be a great time to get that because this fits perfectly. Because when I start talking about how it's just as if you have no sin and God sees you with no sin, it's just as if you never sinned, most people struggle with that because they go look in the mirror and they can see the effects of sin. They can see gray hairs, wrinkles, problems that are a result of sin. You can search your mind and you are condemned and you have memories things that torment you. And so most people only deal in this outward emotional realm and they think, how could God love this? How could God... I mean, God would have to be in denial. God would have to literally be in lying to Himself not to see what a mess I am. But the answer to that is that the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. 
And those who worship Him must worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. God sees you in the Spirit, and in the Spirit part of you, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. And in the Spirit, you are a brand new creature that has never existed before, and you were created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says that. Put on the new man, which after God was created in righteousness and true holiness. Your spirit is perfect. And God is a spirit. God looks at you in the spirit. And God sees you just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if there was no sin. I'm clean. I'm pure. I'm holy. Some of you may take offense and say, well, you don't look holy to me. That's because you're looking on the outside. You're looking and you see things that I say and do that are wrong. But God is a spirit and God sees me in the spirit. And in the spirit, I'm as pure and holy and righteous as Jesus is because it's his spirit that has been put in my heart. And God sees me in the spirit. And see, this is another great reason for the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, God couldn't deal with you based on who you are in the spirit because under the old covenant, people were dead in their spirit. They were still dead in their trespasses and sins. They were condemned. They were dead through what Adam had done. Their spirit wasn't born again. And so God couldn't deal with them that way. God couldn't have a relationship with them the way He has with us. And so He had to deal with them from the external and give them punishment and physical things that they could feel and see to turn them. But now you are a brand new person when you get born again. You're righteous. God lives on the inside of you and God can look at you right after you've done something that was sin, right after you've blown it and you have failed and you've got sin in your physical body or in your emotions, your spirit still retains its righteousness and holiness. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 You've been vacuum packed. No impurity ever penetrates your spirit. Sin gives Satan an inroad into your physical body and into your mind. And so don't do it because it'll give Satan an opportunity. But that sin doesn't penetrate your spirit. Once you're born again, you were created righteous and holy and you were forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. And your spirit is as pure and holy right this moment as it was the very moment you got born again as it will be throughout eternity. Your spirit doesn't have to get changed or improved. In the spirit realm, you are as perfect and complete as Jesus is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Not so are we going to be, but so are we in this world. The only way to understand that is to quit looking in the mirror and trying to see perfection and holiness and quit trying to search your emotions and your mind, but instead, through the Word of God, see who you are in Christ and just receive righteousness as a gift. If you don't understand that little bit I said, and I've got a whole tape series book on this that will explain that, but if you don't understand that, you're going to struggle because here's what the Word says you are, here's what you see and feel that you are, and you're going to say, I just can't understand it. It's because you are only looking in the physical realm, but in the spirit. You are identical to Jesus. You're a new creature and you have to go through what the Word says and just take it by faith that this is true. This is the only way you can see into the spirit realm. So again, in verse 16, but not as the offense of, by the, but not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. One action by Adam defiled many. 
but in, but in the opposite direction, many offenses now all have one result. And that is that we've all been reconciled unto God through Jesus. In verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. This isn't something you earn, it's a gift. It was came freely through Jesus. You receive the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Man, that's awesome. And again, all of these things, the thing that really touched my life was I had accepted that I was by nature a child of the devil. I was by nature separated from God. I accepted that I had a sin nature, that I was corrupt at the core, which the Bible teaches in many places. I had accepted that, and this is saying that if you can accept that you were just born into this, well then, why can't you accept that you are born into righteousness and into holiness and that it's not something you have to earn. It's not based on your goodness. See, it's hypocritical to say, well, I admit that, man, I was born a sinner. I've got a sin nature. That's hypocritical to say that and then, on the other hand, turn around and say, but I can't just accept that God gives me righteousness. I've got to earn it. It has to be something I do. You didn't do anything to become a sinner except be born. You were born a sinner. Well, in the same way, when you get born again, you are born again righteous. If you're going to be consistent, if you're going to, it's like a coin. If you're going to accept that one side of this coin is real, well, then the other side. If that, you can't have half of a coin that's real. Either the thing's real or it's forgery. It's counterfeit. If one side is real, the other side's real. You can't, you can't just pick and choose. If you accept that you have a sin nature, then why don't you accept that when you're born again, you have a righteous nature, that you are now the holiness and the righteousness of God. Man, that's awesome. In verse 19, it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, you were not made a sinner through what you did. You were a sinner by nature, and it's your sin nature that made you sin. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You are righteous in right standing with God, holy and pure in your spirit, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You are righteous through Jesus. And if you sit there and say, well, all of my righteousness is this filthy rags, that's what it says in Isaiah 64, 6. Did you know that's true for an Old Testament man who wasn't born again? And it would be true for a non-born again New Testament person. If they haven't accepted Jesus, well then their self-righteousness is like filthy rags. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 that Jesus has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is now my righteousness. And if I was to say all of my righteousness is like filthy rags, as a New Testament saint, I'm calling Jesus a filthy rag because Jesus is my righteousness. For us to say, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. Man, you are denying what Jesus did. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace, and now I am the righteousness of God. I'm not an old sinner anymore. My nature is righteous and holy. Man, that's good news. 
In verse 20, moreover, the law entered, this tells you why the law entered, that the offense might abound. The law entered so that sin could take occasion by the commandment and deceive you and slay you and show you that you are a sinner. We were into thinking, well, I'm not really as bad a sinner as this person. Truth is, there's just one kind of sinner. There isn't a hell number two or a hell number three. You know what? If you've sinned, you've come short of the glory of God. You were, we were all in the same boat. Who cares if you're a good sinner or a bad sinner? This whole thing of I'm really pretty good. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. Boy, that's deception. And so the law entered so that the offense might abound so that every one of us could recognize that you know what? I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I need the mercy of God. That's why the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, that is just some kind of awesome. So in verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer to that is the first two words of verse 2, God forbid. But let me say it this way. If you, if what you're listening to people preach doesn't ever lead you to the statement, are you just saying that we can live in sin because God loves us and that sin doesn't matter? No, that's not what we're saying. But the Apostle Paul dealt with this four times in the book of Romans. Four times, twice in this chapter. He says, what am I saying? Am I saying that we can just live in sin? God forbid. No, that's not what I'm saying. But if that question doesn't come up, if you've never thought, man, since God loves me independent of my performance, can I just live in sin and do whatever I want? If that question has never come up to you, then you haven't heard the true gospel. You haven't heard the gospel that Paul preached because that's a question that came up over and over and over again. And I can just guarantee you that the vast majority of you have never had that question come to you as you're sitting listening to somebody preach because most of the time they're pounding away at sin and you got to quit sinning. That's not the same gospel that Paul preached. No, that's not what he's saying. But that is a logical question. If God no longer is imputing sin unto you, if you have just become righteous, not through what you do, but through what Jesus did for you, well then, does it matter whether you live holy or not? Well, sure it matters. But you know what? That should be a logical question. And so he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In the Greek, that's as close to profanity as you can get without blaspheming. It's just an absolute, unqualified, absolutely not. And he says, and he gives two reasons in Romans chapter 6 why you live holy. The first one is, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer Therein. What he's saying is, you no longer have a sin nature. You inherited a sin nature by your natural birth, but when you got born again, you inherited a righteous nature. You are now born again. You are a new creature in Christ, a new species of being that never existed before. And I hesitate to say this, but it's the truth. You don't have a sin nature anymore if you're born again. And some Christians just, they will fight you that they have a sin nature. They want to hold on to the fact that they have a sin nature. 
And people will say, by observation, I can tell you I've got a sin nature. It seems like it's easier for me to get angry than it is to walk in love. It's easier for me to lust than it is not to lust. It's easier for me to do the wrong things. But as this will go on and explain in these verses, I'm not going to have time tonight to go into that. Your sin nature is gone. It was crucified with Christ. And it says in these same passages of Scripture, let me just skip down and read some of these. In verse 8 it says, Now if we be dead with Christ, the part of you that is dead with Christ is your sin nature. It died. It's gone. If you be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, likewise means in the same way that Jesus died unto sin once, recognize you are dead unto sin once. And yet most people have had this thing that I've got a sin nature and it's just always there and I've got to die to myself daily. I've got to crucify my flesh over and over and every day, We get up saying, oh God, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. I know that my nature is to go live in sin. And God, I'm just a heartbeat away from just turning totally away from you and living in sin. God, help me to control my sin nature. Did you know that that's schizophrenic? And no wonder we have the failure rate that we have because we see ourselves as an old sinner and all you do is just give token resistance to something. You don't want to do it, but after it persists. After all, I am an old sinner saved by grace. This, I am a jerk. I am rotten. I am bad. And so after a period of time, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you go out and fail because you saw yourself as a failure. And Christians, man, I hate these songs. The reason I love Charlie and Jill's music is it's talking about who you are in Christ and praising God for things. But I hate, hate with a passion most of the Christian quote-unquote music today that wails and travails about, oh God, help me to hold on. I know that I'm weak. And they're just glorifying. They're acting like Jesus didn't come, like you haven't been saved. Like you haven't got a new nature and they're just wailing about how, tr- how hard it is. No wonder they fail. Man, if you see yourself as a nobody and a nothing and, and, and despised, you're going to act like it. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is saying Jesus died unto sin one time. Now he's alive. He doesn't die anymore. You should die unto sin one time. You get born again, your old nature leaves and you get a new nature and you do not have a nature of the devil inside of you that is compelling you to sin anymore. Some of you are thinking, I think I do. (laughs) You know what, if I had more time, I'm having to summarize a lot of things here. But if I had more time, I could explain this to you better. But the only reason that we still have a propensity for sin, and it seems like that we just habitually fall into things, is because we haven't renewed our mind. Our mind is like a computer. It has to be programmed. You have to be taught to act like the devil. You have to be taught how to be selfish, how to be angry. You have to be taught to be all of the things you were. And every one of us had a sin nature 
that influenced and taught our mind how to be selfish, how to hate this, how to have this prejudice, how to do that. And you have been programmed by the devil through your old sin nature to act like a lost person. And the, the thing is, when you get born again, you've got a new nature, but you've got to reprogram your brain. This is the reason that the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Greek word metamorpho that we get transformed from is the same word we get metamorphosis from. If you want to become like a worm that turns into a butterfly, if you want that dramatic of a change, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you get born again, your spirit is changed. Your nature is to serve God. You are now of the same nature, the same quality and quantity of goodness and righteousness that God is. In the Spirit, you are identical to Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. You're identical to Jesus because Galatians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 8, says that it is the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, that is sent into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. It's not you living, but it's Christ living in you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You do not have a sin nature that has to experience defeat and is separated from God. You are now one with God in the Spirit. And the only thing that keeps you from experiencing it in your actions is not a nature that dooms you to failure, but an unrenewed mind, not knowing who you are and what you've got. You will continue to function and feel the way you think. And if you have spent 20, 30, 40 years getting up every Monday morning and saying, oh, Monday, Monday, I can't stand that day. Man, blue Monday, I hate Monday, I got to go to work. If you spend 20, 30 years doing that, guess what? Even after you get born again, you'll get up and be depressed on Monday because you've taught yourself how to be that way. No longer do you have to be that way, but you haven't renewed your mind. You got to change the way you think. You know, when I was a little kid, I had trouble buttoning my shirt. I don't know why that was. I don't know if everybody had that problem, but I did. And I remember my dad used to all of the time get on me because I'd not button my shirt right. I'd get the wrong button in the wrong hole. And I just had trouble with that. My reason for saying that is that guess what? Now I can button my shirt and not even think about it. Thank you. And it is so natural that, you know, I, I don't even remember buttoning my shirt tonight, but I know I did because nobody else dressed me. So <laughs> I had to have buttoned my shirt, but I just did it. It just, it's like it's my nature. But I know it's not because I can remember that I had to train myself. So here's my point. You can do a, an action so often that it becomes repetitive and it seems like it's just your nature. But it's not. This was an acquired trait. And did you know what? Being selfish and hating people and prejudiced and having a temper and all of the things that we call sin, you think it's your nature compelling you to do it, but it's not. You had a nature that compelled you to do it at one time, but now that nature is gone. And all you've got is an unrenewed mind that you haven't changed with the Word of God and some of you are allowing sin to have dominion over you thinking, well, after all, I am an old sinner saved by grace. But if you could ever see yourself in Christ and see how holy and how pure you are and what you have and what Jesus has done in your life, 
man, you would change. You would quit doing a lot of those things. Many of us give in to sickness and stuff because after all, I'm only human. We sing that stupid, stupid song about, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. It's a stupid song. It's a, it's a catchy tune, but it is a stupid song because I'm not only human. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. I am not just a man. But see, if you go around saying, I'm just a man or I'm just a woman, I'm only human. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. I am created in the righteousness of God. If you would quit identifying with only being human and start recognizing that part of you is supernatural, then you know what? You'd quit giving in to sickness. When the doctor tells you you're going to die of cancer instead of thinking, well, it's incurable. What can I do against it? You know what? You'd start realizing that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of me, and there is no reason I have to submit to cancer. Instead of just saying, well, after all, I'm over 40, you know, you got to start wearing out now, and you get black balloons, and you start talking bad. Man, if you recognize that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies, you could start thinking differently. But we see ourselves as a loser. We see ourselves as limited. We see ourselves as only human. And then we wonder why I'm only getting human results. As you see yourself, it's the way you're going to be. You have to see yourself in Christ. You have to know that you have now passed from death unto life. And I'm telling you that the Old Testament law, which I've spent most of this conference talking against, only focused on your outward man to show you your failures for the purpose of beating your self-righteousness out of you and bringing you to a place of guilt and condemnation. All it does is make you identify with failure and sin. And now that we're under the new covenant, you need to see that I'm a brand new person and the law won't focus your attention on who you are in the spirit. It only focuses on your failures in the flesh You've got to get out of that and you've got to start seeing who you are in Christ. And the only way you can do that is to look into this perfect law of liberty. It's like a mirror. You hold it up and see who you are in Christ. And we've got to start seeing who we are in Christ. And yet the law will go against that. It will tell you terrible things. It will condemn you. The new covenant of grace will build you up, show you that you're in right standing as Jesus is, so are you. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians six seventeen, And on and on we could go with all those scriptures. Man, you need to recognize that we now are a new creature. God isn't holding sins against us. God is a spirit. He's seeing you in the spirit, and in the spirit you're a brand new person. And because of that, God's not upset at you. He's not mad. He's not even in a bad mood. God is just absolutely thrilled with you. He keeps your picture on His mantle. God thinks you're awesome. And some of you think, no way, I hate myself. That's because you're looking on the outside. God is looking at the new you. If you would start seeing the new you, you would be thrilled and you would understand how that you could enter into the presence of God without any fear of rebuke because you are as holy and pure as Jesus is in your spirit. God can be just to love you. He doesn't have to just close His eyes to how sorry you are 
God is a spirit and He looks in the spirit realm and He sees you. And you are holy in the spirit. You're a brand new creature. And you've got to start learning who you are and what you have. And then you can approach boldly under the throne of grace without any fear of rebuke, without feeling like God's going to hold anything against you. He's not holding your sins against you. He's not imputing sins unto you. All of your sins, past, present, and even the sins you haven't even committed yet have already been forgiven. I got a tape entitled Eternal Redemption in my Spirit, Soul, and Body album that will deal with that. But you've got all of your sins are forgiven. Jesus paid for everything. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And because of what Jesus has done, we live in a new day. The Old Covenant isn't for the New Testament believer. It was okay at the time. It served a purpose, but we live in a new day, a better covenant. The Old Covenant has been disannulled. It is ready to vanish away. We need to get out from under it, not be entangled again with this yoke of bondage. Man, we need to start recognizing that God loves us and celebrating that. You know, Charlie and Jill sang that song, What a Joy It Is to Be One with the Lord. Some of you rejoiced at it, and I bet you there were some of you thinking, I wished I was one with the Lord. You are. Not in your mind, not in your emotions, not in your flesh, but in your spirit you are one with the Lord. And the only reason you don't enjoy that is because you haven't learned the truth. You haven't renewed your mind. You haven't been transformed by the renewing of your mind. Boy, this is good stuff. You know, the truth is, every one of us already have everything we need. In the Spirit, you are as perfect and complete right this moment as you will ever be throughout eternity. When you die and go to heaven, your spirit's not going to be changed. It's not going to have to be dusted off, refurbished, injected with a new dose of the Holy Ghost. Your spirit is right this moment the way it is going to be a million years from now in eternity. Your spirit is perfect and complete. The only thing that's wrong is your mind isn't the way it's going to be. You only know things in part. And most of us haven't renewed our mind to who we are in Christ. And we have a physical body that is still subject to failure. But in your spirit, one-third of your salvation is over. It's complete. You are right this moment in the spirit, the way that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And if you could ever see that, I guarantee you, it would affect the way you think and the way you act. You would cease to go around saying, well, I'm only human and this is cancer and after all, who am I? It would change your attitude. You'd get a superiority attitude, not through your own self, but through who Christ is in you. You would start believing, I can do all things. You would go to believing for something more than what you've got instead of looking around and taking an average and saying, well, I'm about the same as everybody else. I'm suffering the same as everybody else. You'd go to looking for a different standard. Things in your life would change. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are living so far below the privileges of God. And it's because we don't understand these things. And in my opinion, the reason I'm taught on this this week is the Old Testament law is the number one thing that is keeping people from recognizing who they are in Christ. It focuses your attention on sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. It focuses your attention on your failure. It makes you carnally minded. The law was made for carnal man. It isn't made for who you are in Christ. 
and you've got to crawl out from under that, begin to start seeing God through the new covenant, recognize who you are in Christ. And when you do that, it just opens up a brand new understanding. And all of a sudden you begin to recognize God in a way you've never known before. You know, for the last 38 years, I've been trying to say what I saw on March the 23rd, 1968. Somehow I just knew God was total good and that God was not holding anything against me and it had nothing to do with any goodness of my own. I saw that and I'm still trying to explain it. I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough. I know some people are beginning to get it, but I'm telling you that it's much greater than what I've ever been able to say. God's love for you has everything to do with Him and nothing to do with you. And for you to feel like, Oh God, I've done this. How could you ever love me? You have exalted your sin, your unworthiness, greater than Jesus. If you had one of these scales up here, you know, that you put things in, your sin, I don't care how bad it is, if you are a murderer, rapist, whatever you've done multiple times, it's like a pebble over here. And God's, what He did through Jesus, is like a thousand pound weight over on this side. And I guarantee you, your sin isn't even worthy to compare to the sacrifice that Jesus made. And for you to feel like, oh God, I know you can do it, but how would you ever do anything for me? You have totally missed who God is and what He's done and how much He loves you. And you've got to change that thinking. Until you understand how much He loves you and what He's paid for you, then you're going to let your sin sit there and stop all of these things of God. The only thing Satan ever had against us was sin. And now he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that leverage. He can't accuse you unless you don't know the truth. And sad to say, most of us haven't known the truth and we've let Satan accuse us and we've been going around condemned and feeling unworthy when the truth is you've been made the righteousness of God and man, you ought to be bold as a lion. Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee when no man is without, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Man, if you aren't bold, if you don't know who you are, it's because you don't know who you are. Amen. (laughs) You need to find out who you are in Christ. So anyway, all I've done this weekend is just give you kind of a little foundation. I wished we had another week and I could really start saying some good things right now. But I encourage you to get these CDs from this uh, set because this is the kind of thing that you aren't going to hear very often. I'm sure there's somebody else that preaches it, but they don't preach it. There's not enough people preaching it. And I can promise you that if you listen to everything I said and if you got blessed by it, there's just no... There's no precedent outside of the gospel for what I'm saying. Nobody else deals with you by grace. Everybody else, it's all law related. Most of your marriages, your mate is giving you what you deserve. When you do good, they love you. When you do bad, they let you know about it. Most relationships are all law based. I can guarantee you, you can go out here and go to speeding because after all, I just heard a man preach about that I'm righteous and that it doesn't matter. What I do, God loves me independent of my works. Go out here and violate the speed limit and I guarantee you they will deal with you based on your actions. 
Go to your bit, go to your work next Monday and tell them, I heard a guy preach on righteousness, that it's a gift of righteousness. And so from now on, I may or may not show up for work. I may or may not do my job, but I want you to know God loves me just the way I am. And you know, that's absolutely true, but your boss will fire you because he hires you based on your performance. Everything in this world outside of our personal relationship with God is performance-based. And if you don't make a deliberate effort to take these truths, and I mean meditate on it until this becomes more real to you than anything else, you'll lose this. It's like taking a coal away from a fire and go out into the cold. And you know what? Eventually that thing is going to cool off and it'll, it'll, the fire will die. It's just the elements. It's just the way that it is. This world is surrounded with performance-based stuff. And if you don't stay in the Word of God and focus on this, you'll lose it. So you not only need to hear it, but you need to hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it and listen to this and look up the Scriptures And you know, as I've taught through this, I can guarantee you every scripture I've used, I've thought of five, six, a dozen scriptures that I could have used to make that same point. You need to find those scriptures. You need to go through it. And you need to get this so established and so rooted, such a firm foundation that nothing can topple it. And so I I really encourage you. I think that what we've done this weekend could provide you with a truth that could revolutionize your life, but it's only going to work if you take it and work it. You're going to have to pursue it. You aren't going to be changed just because you sat under this message and heard it. You're going to have to go out and act on it and get it established into your heart. And remember when the uh, demons, you know, somebody tried to cast the demons out of this guy and they said, we adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And those demons like to have killed that guy. It's not going to do you any good to go out of here and say, well, Andrew Womack said. The devil's going to say, Jesus I know and Andrew I know, but who are you? You need to be able to say, God told me. This needs to be your revelation. You need to have it established in your heart. And if you don't, it won't do you any good. Amen. Praise God. Let me just pray for you. I want to pray that a spirit of wisdom and revelation flow because, again, some of you may not have totally identified with what I'm saying. You may think that this isn't that important. I believe it's more important than what you realize. And you need a revelation from God on this. It would change your life. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for these truths that we've talked about. And I pray the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 that you would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding to help us see who we are in Christ, the great power, the exceeding greatness of your power that you have towards us, the same power that you used when you raised Jesus from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenly places. Father, we pray that you'd help us to see the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth, and to know, to experience the love of God, which passes knowledge. Father, we just pray for supernatural impartation of this revelation. I pray that it'd be like Jeremiah talked about in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, where he says that your word was like fire shut up in my bones, and I couldn't forbear. I had to speak. Father, I pray that the Word of God would burn within us. Like those two disciples said on the road to Emmaus, did not His Word burn within us 
while he talked with us. Father, I pray that the Word of God would burn within us and burn up all of the wrong thinking, all of the misconceptions, all of the condemnation and the legalism that has held us back from intimacy with you. Father, we just covet and pray, and we know that you want to give this revelation more than we want it, so we just simply receive it. We open up our heart, and Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit to give us revelation to make this reality in our life. And I thank you, Father. I believe that you are doing this. And I thank you that there will be people that will be able to mark this date and say from this time forth, God began to start revealing things to me and it's changed my life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive that and we praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God.